morning, everyone. Nice to look out and see a crowd of people here this morning. One of the things that's been striking me over the last couple of weeks as we've gathered together and started worshiping together in a, a limited kind of way with, you know, the 50-person uh, maximum is that people sit where they always sit. Whether we were 360 people or 50 people, you're right where you were last time. I saw you at least to the largest degree anyway, but it's such a joy to be able to look out and to see your faces and to be able to worship with you in in person. Of course, those of you who are streaming at home, we're so very thankful for you at, as well. I really want to encourage you to think about coming back to services, to get involved in these services, even though they're limited in number. As we move along through this process, we'll be able to start adding more people to the uh, auditorium and into the fellowship room. And if we have large numbers that are starting to reserve time, then we'll come up with a way as an eldership to make it possible for you to be a part of the in-person worship uh, service. Let me also remind you about one of the evangelistic tools that we are using, and that is our Looking for Answers uh, .net. That is, it's our old come and see, but it allows people to come to the Lord via the internet, uh, studying through World Bible School with teachers, and so I would encourage you to really take part in that, and, in, and I would encourage you to put a bumper sticker on the back of your car, take some of the business cards that are out there in the foyer, and share them with those who are around you, and of course, by putting it on the back of your car, then people can see that uh, email address, and they can uh, come to us in that, uh, that form or that fashion. Let me begin by asking you this question. How many of you can remember this old expression, getting down to brass tacks? Well, it's kind of an old expression. It's one that began back in 1860. And it, and it came from a number of sources. When I did a, an etymological study on the phrase itself and where did it come from, it seems as though the phrase itself comes through probably two different sources. But I think there's one source that really makes the most sense of the two, and that is it comes from the days of the haberdasheries or the mercantile stores, or we call them clothing stores today, where you'd go in to buy, uh, you know, some some cloth, and the way that they would measure it is they'd do it the old-fashioned way by taking a piece of cloth and doing one of these things here, and that represented a yard of, of cloth. And yet it really wasn't an accurate way. You might have benefited depending on the length of the guy's arms, or you might have not benefited by the length of maybe the woman's arm, and so the yards changed. The result was that he started to come up with a more accurate means of measuring cloth, and so they began to put a tax down on the counter that was separated by a yard. And so you would have a tack and then a yard and then a tack and a yard and, and so on, and you would be able to get more of a more accurate idea of really how long or how uh, accurate piece the, the cloth was itself. A fellow by the name of Ingersoll, he wrote this back in 1880. He said, I hurried over to Seabright's. There was a little square counter heaped with calicos and other gear, except a small space cleared for measuring with the yards tacked off with brass tacks. So brass tacks became a means of accuracy, if you will. And as time goes on and it comes down to our day and age, the idea of getting down to brass tacks was getting down to the truth or getting down to the facts, or the reality of things. That's so important when you talk about the world in which we live. Last week, Heather and I, we took an enhanced concealed weapons class that allowed us to get a concealed weapons permit. 
And so we took the class together with one another. It lasted about 10 hours. Five hours or, or more was for just instruction of telling us various things about the law and the carrying of weapons and shooting or not shooting. And then we took about five hours of shooting at the range itself where they taught us proper techniques for shooting. One of the things that really struck me on the first night was something that one of the instructors said, and he said this, not everyone in the world is a good person. We would like to think that people are, are raised right, that they're raised to be courteous, that they're raised to be polite. Most of you have been. You're raised to say thank you and yes, ma'am, and no, man, yes, sir, and no, sir. You're trained to say welcome. You're trained to open up doors for others. You're trained to be polite individuals. But there are those who are not trained that way. There are those who are not raised up to be courteous or polite. They are raised with a different set of values, a, set, a different kind of moral code. The guy behind me is a, an example of that. You might remember about three weeks ago over in Star, there was a sheriff deputy that was, was shot by an, a, an assailant. The person that shot him had stolen a motorcycle from a house. But before that, they were breaking into numerous houses with shotguns, blowing off the knob of the front door, breaking into the house, and their whole idea was to find unsecured weapons that they might steal, of course. Well, they didn't find weapons in this one house, but they did steal a motorcycle, and so this guy stole the motorcycle and drove off. A deputy sheriff saw him and pulled him over, and the result of that conflict was a shootout began and this man shot this deputy sheriff several times in the shoulder now the deputy sheriff he he survived but he's got a messed up arm because of it. it's not like the old west when you shoot him in the arm and they get over it just really quickly he's got some damage done what was interesting about this was the, the guy instructor asked, he goes who do you think his accomplice was who do you think was with him and the answer was his dad was his dad said to his son, let's go break into some houses. Let's go burglarize some houses. And that's exactly what they did. And so this guy was raised by his dad to be a criminal. Not everyone in this world is a good person. There are people out there who wouldn't give a second thought about stealing or burglarizing or raping or murdering or, or killing another person. And all you have to do, unless your head has been in the sand, is look at what's going on in our nation and some of our big cities where there are, are riots. I'm not talking about protests or peaceful protests. I'm talking about riots where people are, are looting and burning and destroying property. And not only that, pulling people out of cars and beating them. And there have been numerous individuals that have been shot uh, to death through this, through this exercise of our free speech. Riots is over. I, I'm just saying to you that this, not everyone is good. When you start to embrace the brass tacks of life, there are both good guys and bad guys, and guess what? We have to live with both, like it or not. And that, my friends, is the brass tacks of, of life. There's a good side of the brass tacks of life where they're really good and wonderful and, and wholesome and marvelous things happening in our lives. But there's also some things in our lives that come our way, not by individuals. Sometimes it's by nature. Sometimes it's by society. But things come our way that are not so good in life. And I know that's not the best news you have heard. I know it's not comforting news, but it's the brass tacks. It's the truth. It's the facts. It's the realities of life. It's the accurate view of what life is, both good and bad. So the question you might ask yourself is, as well, how would you say you're facing the brass tacks of life? 
How are you dealing with the realities of life when life goes bump and, and you find some difficulties going on in your life? Hold that thought for a moment, and let me just turn back for just a few moments. As you know, we've been looking at our series for the year, or our theme for the year, our identity embracing our true nature and we've been looking at second peter the first chapter beginning in verse three and going down through about verse five and in particular verse uh, verse 11 and in particular verses five through seven and there we learned that there are seven qualities that make up our true nature and so we've looked at moral excellence we've looked at knowledge and self-control we've looked at temper uh, per perseverance or steadfastness i thought what we might do this morning is take a break away from that so that you don't become bored with quality after quality and talk to you about the brass tacks of life, the realities of life, because like it or not, we live in a jungle of reality that can be very harsh. And all you have to do, as I already mentioned, is watch the evening news or watch 24-hour cable news or get on the Internet, and you'll see that we really do live in a harsh reality. So this morning, we're going to be talking about embracing the brass tacks of life, the hard facts, the truths about life. But I want to do so with God's help and let you know that we're not only facing some, some challenges and obstacles in life, but to know that as we face these things, we're facing them with God on our side, that he's an ever-present help in times of trouble. So with that in mind, open your Bibles, if you would, to Psalm 46. Psalm uh, 46 it's a wonderful psalm it's a psalm that i used five months ago when we began this pandemic when we began this, this this crisis and we were told to stay in isolation in our our homes and we we were there and so from my backyard i shared psalm 46 but i just basically talked about the very first verse itself listen to what it says god is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble therefore we will not fear, though the earth should change, though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. There is a river whose stream makes glad the city of God, the holy dwelling place of the Most High. God is in her midst. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations made uh, an uproar. The kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice and the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Come before the works of the Lord, who has wrought desolation in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. You might notice the bookends of that psalm itself. It begins by saying God is our strength and our refuge, our stronghold. It ends by saying God is our stronghold. It seems that when you begin just to look at the constants, the, the writer is talking about, uh, about a time or at least implying that there must have been experiences that he has gone through in life where he felt as though he was in the pressure cooker and that he couldn't get out that there were things pressing down around him. Notice verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. As I was reading down through this, this passage here and, and just looking at the individual words, the word trouble really stood out to me. The word trouble means to be pressed or to press 
in. It's a little bit like the word we talked about last week, hupomone, which means to abide under or to abide under, under pressure. This word here means to be pressed in. And as I thought about what does that look like, you might notice that I chose uh, an olive press that is behind me. It's hard for you to, to see it. Hopefully I can make a, maybe make a picture of it. You can see it with this thing here. But here is what is called the crushing stone. And right here is the basket with olives that is in it with another stone down here with a root that's carved around the stone and then a place for the oil to drip down into a, a collecting vat. Here there is a lever with an axis with a lever. And the wooden lever comes across over to here, and there there are stones or weights that are put there along with the rope. And so they'd put the olives inside the bag, and then they would take a, a stone and tie it to the lever, and it would crush down upon the, the olives, pressing the oil out of them. Last year when I was in Israel and we came to Nazareth, we went into an olive, gar an olive garden or an olive place, and there we looked at an olive press. I was amazed at the pressure because they start by putting a little bit of weight and gently pressing down upon the olives to get the oil out of them, and then they would add more weight and then more weight and then more weight until they are pressing down so hard upon the olives that it would drain or cause just the least amount of oil to be extracted from those olives. He, of course, enlightened it, uh, enli likened it to Jesus being in the Garden of Gethsemane. And there how he felt the press of, of, of life. As the pressure was being added more and more to his life, the pressing was so hard that he says that my, my, my soul is grieved to the point of death. And then it says he sweat, as it were, drops of, of blood. Extreme pressure. And so when the psalmist is writing this, and he says, God is our refuge and strength, our very present help in trouble. When life presses in on us, we can go to him. And so the idea is that whenever you or, or me, whenever we're feeling the pressure of life around us, we're encouraged to go to this psalm and, and to be reminded that God is on our side. That God is a refuge, that God is a strength, we can find a, a shelter in him, but we can also find strength to overcome the pressing times of life. Psalm 46 is fairly easily broken down. Uh, it talks about the changes of nature, how nature changes around us. I'll talk a little bit more about that later, but his, his conclusion is, is that God is my refuge and strength. I'm not going to fear, I'm going to trust in him. Changes in society, how nations come and go, how nations uh, totter and seem as though they are falling apart. The psalmist says, I'm not going to worry about that either. That's happening around, but I'm not going to worry about that. I'm going to find my strength and refuge in God. I'm going to trust in him. And then he says that I'm going to change my attitude. I'm not going to lie, allow these, these anxieties to so stress me out that I want to give up. I'm going to be still. I'm going to cease striving. I'm going to relax. I'm going to let go and let God control things around me. So that's the basic idea of the psalm. So let's start with just the verse three verses. I will not be afraid. He talks about the brass tacks of the natural world. Listen to what he says. 
after saying verse 1, he says, Therefore I will not fear, though the earth should change, though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake in their swelling pride. I think one translation says, as the waters surge about. He's talking about the natural world. It's almost though he was reading our newscast or watching our newscast or reading our newspapers here in the 21st century. All the way back then, it's like he could see what is going on. And the reason is because the natural world is the natural world. And what has been happening back then has been happening for forever. Though he talks about the earth or the mountains crashing into the sea or the roaring foam of the water or mountains that quake and, and surge about. All you have to do is, like I said, look at the mail and, or at the news and you'll see that, you know, there are a lot of natural disasters going on around us. I mean, 20 years ago, I mean, did you hear a lot about tsunamis? I don't think they're anything new. It's just that we have the airways and the news broadcast that bring it right into our, our living rooms, but tsunamis and, and earthquakes. And then there are, of course, the hurricanes that are coming on shore as they are at this very moment in places in our country, or tornadoes that sweep across the land, or droughts that dry up the land and the crops of farmers, or flooding that occurs as the Mississippi or the Missouri overflow their banks. Or maybe it's the wildfires that are going on around us that seem to happen every year. By the way, if you've ever wondered, what does the sun look like in Africa? I'm over there. It looks exactly like it does today in the last week. Where you look up and you never see just the sun with a blue sky background. It's always just an orange dot in, in the sky. But we have those things that are going on around us. Some say that the Andreas Fault eventually is going to really quake and, you know, part of the west coast of, the, of California is going to fall into the Pacific Ocean. Or how about Yellowstone? Yellowstone is said to set up on top of a 25-mile caldera, which is a big old bowl, if you will, of molten lava that sits right below the Yellowstone Lake itself. And, and scientists say that that thing is supposed to erupt any time and that it's a planet killer when it, when it happens. And so you have those kinds of things that are going on in the natural world around us. And so how do you handle those things? Because how much control do you really have over, over hurricanes? How much control do you have over a tornado? How about a drought? Anyone have a lot of control over floods? You know, what I'm saying to you is there are some things that are happening in our world that are out of our control. And so when we live in a world where we don't have a lot of control over those things, what do we do about it? Well, we can allow them to really ramp up our stress levels or our anxiety levels, or we can handle things that are not in our control and keep them in perspective. So what is the perspective? The perspective is that these things have been happening forever. Romans, the 8th chapter, beginning, I believe, in verse 8 down through verse 22, Paul the Apostle talks about a world in which we live that he says is constantly groaning within itself. It's not a perfect world. It's a world that is groaning. Of course, thermodynamics says that the world is burning down, that it's running out of energy, that it's really being used up. This planet was never built to last for an eternity. God said it wouldn't last for and, he turned, and one day it will simply go away. And so there are things that are unpreventable. There are things that we have to live through. Besides that, there are some things that are, are worse 
and are preventable. Do you know that every year almost 40,000 people are killed in automobile accidents? No one's stopping driving the things, but over 40,000 a year are killed in automobile accidents. That's more than, than you know, a lot of different natural disasters that happen around us. Being careful how we drive, watching how we drive. Don't have a lot of control over COVID, except for we can wear a mask, we can practice social distancing. There are some things that we can do to mitigate the spread of the virus. All I'm saying to you is that what the psalmist says, he says, listen, God is my strength, my refuge, my very help, our present help in a time of trouble. And then he lays out the natural disasters are around, and he recognizes this one important point, and that is he recognizes who oversees the wind and the rain and the earthquakes and everything else. God knows. And so we put our trust in him. Second, he says, I shall not be moved. If you look at verses 4, uh, especially at verse 7, uh, he's, he says these words. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Look at verse 6. The nations made an uproar. The kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice to the earth, and it melted away. And so he's talking about nations that change. He's talking about countries that, that change and how some nations are tottering. Some nations are raging. If you look around the world, globally speaking, there's a lot of unrest in the nations around us. And even so, in our own nation, there are things that are there. And then there's the uh, societal shifts that are around us. What used to be right is now wrong. What used to be wrong is now right. And those things continually shift around us. And we as Christians have to live among it. And God says, or the psalmist says, listen, God is my refuge. God is my strength. When that trouble is there, I'm not going to allow it to move me. I'm going to stay in my place. Uh, Alexis Tocqueville, who was a French political philosopher of his day back in the 1800s, I think it was around 1880, he's wondered what was it that made America great? Even he from across the ocean could see the greatness of the United States. And so he asked the question, what is it that makes it great? And so he decided to find out. And so he began to travel and go from town to town and village to, to village and ask questions. He went to our meetings, to Congress and to other places. He went to our, our churches and he wrote this. This, what he said was, has been, uh, I think it's written in Democracy of America, but he, he wrote, or he was quoted by uh, President Reagan. He's quoted by uh, President Clinton. Uh, he was, uh, he's been quoted by a number of presidents. And what he said about society around us were, were these words. He said, I sought for America's greatness. I found it not in her fields and forests. I found it not in her mines and factories. I found it not in her Congress and great tribunals. It was only when I entered her churches and heard her pulpits thundering against sin and preaching righteousness that I discovered her greatness. America is great because America is good. If America ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. Those are such, I mean, timely words. Uh, they are the brass tacks of life when it comes to our country and what makes us good and what makes us great. It's not the political giants. 
It's not the political parties. It's not any of those things. It's not our ingenuity or our, our intellect. What it is, it's God in our midst. It's God that blesses our nations. And when we as a nation forget that, then we're going to be in serious trouble. Uh, we have a hard time blushing if you are a person that was raised up in the era of which I have been raised, you know, and I'm starting to get a little bit more older in, in age. I remember it the 60s and the 70s and the 80s and the 90s and on into the millennium, and I've seen how we have socially changed as a nation, morally speaking. Fornication, adultery, homosexuality, uh, transgenderism, abortion, and so many other things uh, uh, like that have so changed in so many ways. And not only that, but a great majority of our society is in agreement that those things are okay. Those things which are seen as a scourge are now seen as that which is your rights and your freedom to choose those things. So much so that we don't even blush at them. We don't turn red at them. People blush, you see, because they're embarrassed or ashamed of something they did that was morally wrong, but not anymore. What was wrong uh, and sinful yesterday is right and acceptable today. But again, it's not something that's really new. You know, all societies go through shifts. If you were to go all the way back to Jeremiah's day, he will talk about the moral shift of his day. I found this quote, no moral conscience is one thing, the law is another. We have to hold on to, the, uh, hold on to this difference. Uh, so what is he saying? He's saying just because something is lawful doesn't make it right. So Jeremiah addressing the social issues uh, or sins of Judah, he says, are they ashamed of their loathsome conduct? No, they have no shame at all. They do not even know how to blush. And so they will fall among the fallen. They will be brought down when I punish them, says the Lord. So what should have been embarrassing, they hold their heads proud about their sin. And Jeremiah says there's going to come a day of reckoning when they're going to have to deal with God. And so how are we to deal with the moral shifts that are going on in our society? It's pretty hard to change those things, except we do it one person at a time, and we can do it in the vote, voting uh, box or the ballot box and things like that. But, but what, what should we do? How do we deal with the shifts of, surround, uh, of society around us? And the answer is, is to remember what the psalmist said. God is my refuge. God is my strength. He is a very present help in times of trouble. God is in control. That there is a day of reckoning, that there is a recompense, that there is a punishment where it comes in my lifetime or in your lifetime or, or when there is a day of reckoning. If the day of reckoning doesn't come in history, it'll come at the end of this, this world. And lastly, God is with us. God is an abiding presence who desires to be uh, with us. Finally, trusting in God no matter what. Look at Psalm 46, verses 8. Through 11 come behold the works of the Lord who has wrought desolation in the earth he makes wars to cease to the end of the earth he breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two he burns the chariots with fire so for any nation that thinks that they are militarily you know secure God lets them know that I can break bows I can destroy chariots I can take out missiles I can destroy tanks I can do all that stuff those things don't get in my way verse 10 
be still and know that I am God. I like what the New American Standard says. It says, cease striving and know that I am, am God. I think those are timely words. Be still and know that I am God. The psalmist remembered this. What he was saying is he's saying, I will no longer let my life be filled with anxiety from nature or society. I'm not going to allow them to move me. I'm not going to allow society to change me. I'm not going to allow nature to disrupt me, the things that are going on around me. God is my strength. God is my refuge. Look at those words again. Be still and know that I am God. And then ask yourself this question. Have we forgotten how to rest in the Lord? Have we forgotten how to relax? Now, six months ago, I could have said to you, how long has it been since you sat down with your family and had a meal together and just shared your lives and laughed and visited with one another? I think that there's one thing that has come good out of this crisis, this pandemic or this, this virus crisis is it's forced us together as families. It's made us allowed to have time together as families and to have meals together with one another. When I was raised up, my parents, they demanded that we have dinner together with one another. When I raised my daughters, I demanded we have meals together with one another. I did a lot of my teaching at the dinner table, a lot of teaching, because they'd ask questions, and I'd give them answers, and we just did a lot of Bible teaching, a lot of spiritual teaching, and so spending time with your family, how long have you done that? Or how long has it been since you uh, took a walk, a relaxing walk through the neighborhood and enjoyed just the sun setting? Or got up early in the morning and watched the sun rise in quietness? You know, how long has it been? How long has it been since you took a, a hot bath and just relaxed and read a whole chapter of a book without anyone interrupting you? How long has it been? How long has it been since you just, you know, took off your watch, left your smartphone behind, and just enjoyed yourself? Do you find it hard to relax? Sometimes I do. I, I go back, out back, have a beautiful backyard, set on my patio, and I try to just relax and not think. I try to just listen to the birds and watch the squirrels and the hummingbirds, and I just kind of, and the quail and the doves, and just try to watch those things and be quiet. But I find myself thinking to myself, you need to get up, you need to get something done, you need to be moving, you need, sometimes it's hard to relax, but we need to. And that's what the psalmist is saying. Be still and know. I know that there, the society is in flux. I know kingdoms are, are tottering. I know that there's not a lot of natural things going on around you. But I'm God. You need to relax. You need to let go and know that I've got things under control. Be still and know. Abide, rest, repose. Know that I am God. Three great truths we can draw from the psalm that will help us face the brass tacks of life. Number one, God is always near and available. The Bible says, cast your cares upon him, for he cast all your anxieties upon him before, because he cares for you. Be anxious for nothing, but everything in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God. God will give you peace. Those things are promised. God is always near. He doesn't put us on hold. 
You may be put on hold by a lot of things. You may be put on hold when you go to the grocery mart and you have to stand in line or at Costco and have to stand in the huge line. You might be put on hold when it comes to going to the bank and trying to withdraw some money. You might be put on hold when you're driving down the road and you get stuck behind traffic or behind a red light. You might be put on hold in a lot of areas of life, but you're not put on hold when it comes to God. God is a big God, and his ears are open and anxious to hear from us of what's going on. God's power is greater than anything in this world. He created it all. He is the power. And God's help works even when we can't help ourselves. When we put our trust in him, he will be with us all the way to the very end if necessary i found this quote the bible never once says figure it out but over and over again it says trust god well why because he's already got it figured out and so putting our trust in him embracing the brass tacks of life the hard facts and truth about life but doing so with god's help god is my refuge and strength a very present help in times of trouble. When life presses in, he promises to be there for us. For his children, we are precious to him. He loves us more than we can possibly imagine. He loves us that much and wants the very best for us and promises to be with us in all things. So that's the message for this morning. I don't know where you are. Maybe you feel life pressing in on you. If you do, why don't you come forward? And let's talk about it, and we'll pray with you and pray for you. Whatever your need is, once you respond while together we stand and sing and give you that opportunity.